0: Welcome to Plant Network Podcast, where we talk to horticulturists about their gardens and their careers. Today I'm speaking with Kate Hughes, who works at the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh as horticultural project officer and editor of Suboldia, the International Journal of Botanic Garden Horticulture. Hello, Kate.
1: Hello, Rebecca. It's great to speak to you today.
0: So you have two, at least two roles at, at Edinburgh. I wondered whether you could tell us a little about them.
1: Yes. Yeah, so as you say, my job title is Horticultural Project Officer, and it encompasses editorship of Sebaldia, the International Journal of Botanic Garden Horticulture. But I also do quite a lot of teaching, teaching practical horticultural skills, And I do that in Edinburgh on a course called the Certificate of Practical Horticulture. It's a highly practical course, but is also certificated, evaluated and certificated. And I've adapted modules of that course to deliver in overseas institutions, botanic gardens and other institutions. And that's something I've been doing in recent years. But I also, in when time allows, I pick up other other projects which might be in collaboration with our publications department or science, with science conservation projects with science staff or with interpretation as well in the garden. So I'm based in horticulture, but I'm often working with other staff throughout the Botanic Garden and all four of our gardens. So it's communicating and education
0: then seems to be your your predominant roles would you say that was right
1: communicating and educating about horticulture absolutely yes so that's what I've I've I realized when I start to sort of look at look at what I do it's it is all about communicating what really interests me is communicating the about horticulture the practical horticultural skills and aptitudes that horticulturists have and are needed to do good horticulture to sort of foster those those skills and to communicate about how important they are what I what I really enjoy about my job as well partic- well as editor of horticulture is it's an international journal so we're not it's not just staff from the Edinburgh gardens or UK gardens who are publishing in Suboldia. So I'm receiving submissions from all over the world and it's really interesting to to see how how horticulture is done in other parts of the world and to hear about what other people are doing and one aspect of my my role i really enjoy is being able to bring that work to a wider audience we do have a lot of first time authors authors who haven't maybe haven't put their work into writing before and it's really nice to be able to to bring that bring that work to a wider audience and for more people to find out about it.
0: So um, if anybody is interested in contributing to Suboldier, how, what, what should they do? How should they go about getting in contact with you? Or do you, do you approach them rather than people approach you?
1: There are both options. I often do approach people and often people approach me. So I'm very open to approaches from people who might want to publish their work. So I would suggest having a browse of the website. So Siboldia is an open access journal, diamond open access, which means it's free to publish and free to submit and free to read as well. So you can go to the website, you can browse on the screen, you can download the PDFs of the articles as well. I'll give you the website, it's https journals. Dot rbge.org.uk And so I would have a look at the website there and see, see the kinds of articles that, that we publish. There's quite a variety. And then you can email me at suboldia at rbge.org.uk with your ideas for their papers, what they would like to write about. And we can have a discussion if necessary, or you can just send me an abstract of your work and take it from there.
0: Now, you have an international role by the sound of it. You go, you teach all over the the world, you obtain articles and papers from all over the world. So how did you get into horticulture?
1: I guess I feel like I was a little bit of a late starter in horticulture. I did sociology and Spanish at university, but found myself having a growing interest in plants at that time. And once i graduated a friend was working in a bonsai shop and i needed a job and the christmas rush was coming up so she said we need we need someone in the shop could you could you come and come and work here so that was the first time i was paid to do horticulture and i had to learn pretty quickly but i really enjoyed it and so that started me looking for courses to find out more about horticulture And that's when I came into contact with the HND in Horticulture with Plantsmanship at RBG. And that was the year that I joined was the first year of that. That was a new course then, but it is still running and it's an excellent course. I would highly recommend it to anyone who's looking to do an HND in in horticulture. So I did that course and then... I spent a year in Chile on conservation projects and working with the International Conifer Conservation Programme. So I learned a lot about conservation projects and the the basis of horticulture in conservation projects in that year. But it was having the Spanish from my degree which really helped me to to get that work. And when I came back, then I did a a mix of, of... landscaping and lots of different horticultural jobs until I got a job at RBG in the early 2000s, looking after the uh, display house of the, with the ferns and pelargonium species collection and then the ginger research collection as well. So I've had quite a varied, varied background in horticulture and I think that's been very useful for me particularly in teaching, because it means I've got a range of different experiences to to call on. When I had I think when I when I moved into this project management role was really when I went when I had children, I went part time and then an opening came up for a a role which was a bit more flexible. So it was it was a role that's that sort of gradually evolved. But I've been teaching for since, again, since the early 2000s. And again, that's, that's been something that's developed over time. And that for the first time we, we delivered the CPH overseas was in Mexico. So again, my linguistic skills came into play there. And I did the work of translating the English version of the Certificate of Practical Horticulture into Spanish. And from there, they have been, so I've been, I've had other opportunities to, to deliver and adapt that course as, as is needed in the situation. I was going to ask you whether you delivered the courses in Spanish. Um, so that you answered that
0: for me there. That's wonderful. And I think you're the first person I've spoken to who got into horticulture via a bonsai shop. <laughs> yes. That, that is, that is quite unique, really, I think. <laughs> It's a great pathway, which kind of leads on to if you were going back to where you were, you know, you've just graduated from university. Would
1: you do anything differently? I feel like it has worked out for me. I really enjoy my job. I wouldn't like to say I would do anything differently because I'm happy where I am. But I will be honest and say I do miss the hands on horticulture looking after the plants but it's not possible to do everything but I do I have an allotment and a garden at home and so I do get my fix of hands-on horticulture away from from the project management work. In terms of doing anything differently I'd have to say no but I would recommend to anybody that they get as much variety as they can in in their experience because everything everything counts i'd say nothing's wasted is it when you when you when you spend time learning about something it all it all goes into make your own jigsaw puzzle of of experience which you then take bring into your role what does the future hold for you once well just what does the future hold
0: let's forget about the pandemic what does the future hold for you kate
1: well In the very immediate future is I'm in the middle of producing the volume of Sebaldia, which will be the RBG 350th anniversary volume and the proceedings of the conference that you and I worked on that was online last October. Sebaldia volume 20 and it's in process. So I hope that will be out in July. So that's that's the very immediate future. I am still i am hopeful i let's hope that that restrict travel restrictions will be lifted at some point because we're in the middle of a darwin initiative project in tajikistan that project is encouraging the cultivation of endemic species in people's gardens and close to their communities in order to reduce the pressure on wild populations of the endemic species so, and there's still some modules of training to deliver out that are outstanding from that project. So I'm really keen to not only see how the project's going, but also to, to finish off that, that training. And then longer term, we've got an, another project coming on with the Climate Change Alliance for Botanic Gardens. So RBG joined the Climate Change Alliance in February and this is uh, this membership of the alliance gives us access to a tool which will help us look at our collections across the four gardens and how suited they are for the projected climate changes so we'll be looking at the what what's anticipated changes are in maybe 30, 50, 70 years time and how well suited are what, what we're growing at the moment and what we expect to be growing in 30 years time and how can we start to prepare for those changes and prepare our collections for that and still be able to meet the objectives of our organisation and maintain that, that curation value in the collections way into the future. So that's a very long-term goal, but it's I think it's time to start start looking at it now. So that's a that's a very futuristic, it goes beyond beyond my time. Overall, I intend to, I want to there's more I want to do with Seboldia I want to consolidate Seboldia and continue to reach a wider audience with Seboldia and continue to promote what I see as the value of horticulture the the vital essential nature of horticulture for conservation amenity and our our well-being in general and for wider society
0: there's some big goals there Kate (laughs) I wish you well on that journey I'm sure (laughs) you you you. will you will make these changes so a little bit of a, a change of 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 track here you, you work at Royal Botanic Garden, Edinburgh, and you, you mentioned the other gardens as well that are part of, of the RBGE umbrella. I'm going to put you a bit on, on I suppose, on point here and ask you, do you have a favourite garden within those those four or pota- potentially a, a favourite area within any of those gardens? Somewhere you, you like to go to, something special to you or somewhere you'd, you'd recommend somebody visit when, when they're next in that garden?
1: Well, they are—they're all beautiful. Of course, <laughs> it's really hard to pick, isn't it? They are—they—they all—they're all so special in themselves. They—they're not—they overlap, obviously, but they all have their unique character. And the Edinburgh Garden is looking beautiful at the moment. The cool weather uh, recently has held back a lot of a lot of things. I've had a sneaking kind of growing appreciation of alpines in the last few years and I really enjoy the Alpine Yard and Rock Garden at Edinburgh. And in terms of in terms of if you've only got one visit to make you need to incorporate the traditional Alpine House because it's like a a sweetie box for horticulturists. The displays are changed every week. And particularly at this time of year as you can imagine there's there's almost there's almost too much to fit into the to the space so that's always a a really lovely visit but I do also have a soft spot for Benmore Botanic Garden it is on the west coast it's in Argyle it's the largest I believed in terms of hectares it's the wettest and it's it's beautifully maintained but it also has wildness to it and I perhaps my soft spot comes from when I was a student of horticulture I spent two weeks there in the summer doing work experience and having come it was a very busy course on the HND in horticulture with plantsmanship and while it was yeah it's fantastic but it was very busy and suddenly going to Benmore where it was completely peaceful and there was no there was no internet there it was no I didn't have a smartphone smartphones didn't exist at that time and it was like a completely a world away um, and then a whole different set of plants which are prominent in that garden so that was that I always have a soft spot for Benmore and again that comes into where where your experience in your 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 experience your life experience comes builds that that jigsaw puzzle of of who you are doesn't it it does it does and it yeah you a garden
0: can mean something particularly special because of where you are in your in your kind of life and what you've been doing recently do you have a favorite plant kate or something that means something to you it can be a generic plant you know you like a particular species or it could be an individual plant that is you know somewhere that you that is special
1: mm. I have always found this question really difficult to answer and perhaps it's in common with others, you know, the, that that favourite can change from from moment to moment. There is one plant which which seemed which has been with me over the last few years and it's Again, I have a soft spot for it because it's a pelargonium and I looked after the pelargoniums for many years. And that, that that's an amazingly diverse group, by the way, if you don't know the the range of pelargoniums there are, um, that's a, it's a, a fantastic group or I, I enjoy, it. I like it. Um, there's one plant that I, it wasn't in the collection when I first started looking after the pelargoniums and I acquired it. For sort of completeness, for the collection, and it is called Pelargonium transvalensi. Comes from the Transvaal. To my knowledge, it's only known from a few small areas in the Transvaal, and it's a little bit different from how the general perception of pelargoniums. I think because often we think of them as liking full sun, uh, on the dry side, hot, dry, sunny position. Um, those that have a dormancy, they need to be dry at that time. And Pelargonium transvalencia is, is a little bit different. It seems to like moisture all year round. It's a tuberous plant. Um, doesn't grow much above about 70 centimetres and somewhat somewhat straggling. Um, but it seems to like moisture and it does really well on my, the windowsill of my office at work, which is north facing. There's no direct light whatsoever. It's not built for plant cultivation. It's really cold on the on the window side and then very hot and somewhat stuffy um, internally. And this plant seems to do really quite well on that, on that windowsill. And we, to the point that we found it had declined in other parts of the collection. And we found that the one on my windowsill was the only one in the collection. So it was duly propagated up and there are several now around, but it still seems to really like my windowsill. It's got quite green luxuriant leaves with chocolate zoning in the centre and the typical geraniaceae red stems. Uh, again, typical pelargonium flower, quite deep pink, and it's it's looking really lovely at the moment. So that's a plant that kind of stays with me.
0: What about gardening tools? Is there is there anything that you reach for before you head off to the allotment or you know when when you're teaching as well is there anything that you suggest to to people that they they use
1: well i i guess well certainly heading off to the allotment the secateurs yeah they're vital aren't they and where would we be without without felcos but there's another tool that i've been using a lot recently planting lots of annuals and plug plants etc and that's my copper hand trowel and it's just great it's it's yeah so it's a copper blade quite a sort of wide blade but it's it's really quite sharp and it just slices through the soil and being copper it's deter it deters slugs and snails and things as well but it seems to just make really short work and it doesn't rust and and the soil just seems to slide off it so that's that's really makes slight work actually of of planting small small things and it was given to be by my mother uh, and is engraved with it's got my name engraved on the handle as well so it doesn't get lost so I really I'm really enjoying my copper hand trowel at the moment. Now
0: as an editor of a journal you probably have lots of go-to resources and books and online materials and things like that but I wondered whether there is a book whether it's a reference book even a work of fiction that is particularly special to you, whether it's for work or whether it's just a personal thing, personal horticultural obsession.
1: Well, obviously, *Soboldia* is is top of my list always. <laughs> although that's a journal, but it's it's yes yeah, it's, it's reading matter, isn't it? But I think a book which, again, throughout from since the time when I first started really properly learning about plants, that I've I've enjoyed, although it has been updated. new editions since then is Flowering Plants of the World by Vernon Haywood, Professor Vernon Haywood. And that was a book that when I first started to learn about plants and my mind was kind of boggled by the extent and variety of this new world that I was finding out about. When I discovered that book and i was able to look up i was learning about a new plant and looked it up a flowering plant obviously looked it up in that book it just really helped me to position that plant or the genus or the family within the the whole system and it helped me to start to put plants into place and help me to envisage the whole the, the, the the plant kingdom really and it's a really it's a really useful book it's has little although they're quite they're not super specific maps of of either distribution of the genus or and their economic value except and so on so there's quite a lot of information there's lots of information in there and some lovely diagrams as well and then it's got all the information at the front as well glossary and um, illustrations of different leaf attachments and ovaries and yeah different sort of flower shapes and things so I found that book that book is quite well thumbed it has been updated to incorporate APG classification uh, with additional editors and I hear that 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 book is also that that version is also very useful so that's one that I really enjoy there are lots of others oh I could list I could list others but I'll leave it there and I think
0: that's the thing. everybody has lots of books on horticulture, and it's really difficult to to pin it down. Given your role and that you do a lot of writing, would you ever consider writing a book on horticulture?
1: Oh, I feel like I've 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 got a lot more to learn before I can, before I can put it down into a book. I do like being able to write blog posts. I have to admit I haven't done any recently, but I like that possibility of putting down sort of shorter chapters of information but there is a book that I've that I've always wanted to write actually gathering together the experiences and knowledge of the scientists and horticulturists at RBG. Often people people have such a huge store of information in their heads and Sibaldi is trying to address this somewhat but can't can't do it all people retire inevitably and to to capture their 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 knowledge would be would be really good so I I
0: think that kind of builds I think we saw that in the the promoting excellence in, in horticulture conference that You know, from some of the sessions, quite a few of the sessions, there was just so much knowledge. And you know, you're putting this into a 20, 25 minute presentation, and it was they were just bursting at the seams, weren't they, with with enthusiasm, knowledge, things that were interlinked. It was it is quite amazing to to listen to to someone who's had a, a full career in horticulture and has all this amazing information. So Kate, that's that's all my questions for you today. Thank you so much for joining
1: Plant Network
0: Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Rebecca. It's been great to speak to you.